Welcome to The Well Podcast. We pray that this message ministers to you and blesses you as you listen. There's this word that I've, I've, I've hated, and I never knew why, um, but I, there's a word that I've just never liked, and it's called process. And, uh, and I understand there's a working out of your salvation. I get that's a process, right? Um, so uh, with the Holy Spirit in mind and, and the fact that uh, he's alive and active in me, he does lead my path. He leads my mindset onto greener pastures. He, under, he, he allows me to understand what his wisdom is and not just the world's wisdom. And he showed me why my heart has such a hard time with the process. Because I grew up in church. And uh, you always hear that, well, he's working on me. And you'd normally hear that from a person that was in the middle of a sinful action, right? Well, he's working on me. And Paul does write, Paul does write about how um, we should make account for each other's flaws. So I understand that part too. But he finally showed me why the word process drives me insane, like in, in the sense of what he's working in me is because a lot of what I've seen with the word process is an excuse for, from transformation. Because if you're using the, the word process and you've been working on the same thing for 10 years, now I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to show you that there's a better way. But if you're still working on the same thing that you, you've been working on for 10 years, I promise you Jesus isn't missing the chisel. He, he, is, working, he is the perfect potter. We have to be formable and moldable. Like if you study out the, the potter and the clay and stuff, it's a, it's a really neat little teaching. I don't re really want to go through that, but it's got to be formable and moldable and it's got to be just the right uh, moisture content and all that. And, and the one thing I know about the Bible is it says that he is doing the work inside us that pleases him. Like he's the one doing the work. But here's this thing that, that we have. We have this conscious mind that has been trained up in such a way that uh, we think we know what's right. We hear a little bit. So, so what I take away from what Lincoln said is he goes, he's not here, Dad. He's in heaven. So he's heard about Jesus. And the one thing that he, his little mind has taken away from kids' church right now in that moment was that Jesus is not right here because he's coming back. But his mind just says that he's not here. So there, there, there's a thing that we have to... Um, really get into this word with a, uh, I always think of like the Israelites with the manna that fell down. And I've heard teachings on, you know, they had as much as they wanted, manna. And, and Jesus is, is the New Testament manna. He, he even says, you know, man will not live on bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That is something that like is so alive in me that, um, that is pretty much the only way that I live anymore. That's the only way that I think. If I can't find it in the scripture, it's very hard for you to convince me that that's the way that he wants me to go. Now, I do understand there's a nature of God that goes outside the scriptures. And, it, and that's what the word is there for, for us to understand him. I mean, the Bible says this. It says eternal life is this, that you might know him. It, it's all coming into a knowledge of him. He says knowledge is better than any silver or gold. And he even says that the foolishness of God is uh, wiser than the wisest man on earth. Like, it's just, I, I can't quote it exactly, but it says something into those lines. Um, so, uh, so when I read the Bible, I don't read it to, to make sure that I have a good sermon for you guys. I read it to change my life. I read it to transform my heart. I read it to, to take on the being and nature of my Heavenly Father. When I'm sitting here with my son and he's sitting here playing with my little whiskers and, and Katie's singing out, you know, just look at him. I, I can just see that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to be so fascinated with him. And if you think about it, we're going to be in eternal life with him and we're never going to get bored. He's so fascinating in all his ways. He's so majestic. He's so sovereign. Like, there's so much that we can't understand in our own little puny minds at this point. 
I know I'd go, I'd go here eventually, but 1 Corinthians, I, I made it almost five minutes before getting into 1 Corinthians. But it says we see now impartial. But one day we will know him just as now he knows us completely. I mean, that's, that's encouraging for my heart to know that I, I get to know the knowledge of God one day. And until then, I'm going to point my focus on where he's calling me to and not where I feel left. Feelings are rough and they will make you feel like you're missing it and make you feel like what's the worst, you know, why, why even wake up? Why am I even here? Nobody cares and gets you in the same, like there's something in Genesis that says every seed produces after its own kind. If you're not careful, you, the, the very thing, the ignorant mindsets that frustrate your heart, you can easily produce the same seed within your own heart if you're not careful. You'll get so mad that people don't see it that you can bear the same exact heart that you're even crying out against. And that's the thing that he's showing us. He's showing us things like Jesus wept, right? Jesus wept over Israel. Jesus wept over Lazarus. He, he's weeping because like in my heart, what I, how I see these scriptures of when Jesus wept, he's weeping because the very nature that God intended for something is being abused and misused. And he is weeping because he understands what the purpose is. That's why he said, I loved you yet while you were still sinners. Because he has never missed, he's never changed his mind about why he created it, each and every one of us. He never loses focus. It, that's why it says love never fails. Love never fails because it doesn't seek its own and he's not trying to will us in the sense of uh, making us obey his commandments. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's where it all comes in. I mean, Paul, I talk about it so much, but it's so in the New Testament that it's hard not to talk about. Paul even writes Timothy, he says, the goal of our instruction is to love. And if we miss love, we miss it all. We can do all these things. We can get up there and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast demons out in your name? And he said, yeah, but I never knew you. And to be one with the Father is love because God is love. And, and understanding, I guess, who he is is where, where it kind of brings me into this whole thing. Um, I'm, I was kind of hoping he would bring me back because um, it's definitely nothing I studied at. Um, well, I have from my own heart. So... So Sunday today is known um, as Palm Sunday when Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem and they actually um, had an awareness of who he was. So if you read the scriptures up to this point, they're all like, who has given you authority? Who are you? Aren't you just the carpenter's son? And now we come to the triumphant entry to Hosanna. And uh, in, let me read this actually, in John 12, this is after um, he raises Lazarus, he's anointed at Bethany by, I do believe, uh, Lazarus' sister, is that right? I think, Martha or Mary or one of the two. Um, and then you come into verse 12, so chapter 12, verse 12 in John. And it says the triumphal entry. It said the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when he heard that Jesus was, co was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went down, went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes into the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it and it it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And it says that the disciples didn't even understand it at that point. But um, I think the, the donkey, let me see, yeah, in Zechariah 9 9 and Isaiah 49, that is a scripture fulfillment that he is going to be coming in riding on a donkey. Now, I, I've listened to uh, quite a few. Palm Sunday is actually new to me, believe it or not. Um, I mean, I've read it 
but I've never went into detail, never went into a study. So I, I, did, I did listen to quite a bit of sermons. Um, so this may be common knowledge to most of you, but it's kind of new to me. Um, but, but one thing that I, I can really point out here is Hosanna. They, they cry out Hosanna. So uh, the teacher side of my heart decided to, to really study on what Hosanna really meant. And I always thought kind of praise. Hosanna means praise. But when I looked deeper into it and started getting a little bit more into the Hebrew side of things and the Greek side of things, it actually means save now. So don't just save us, but save us now. Hosanna. He's here to save us and save us now is what they're saying. And when you actually get into like the Hebrew side of things, it is so elegant and so like their word words are not just like words. There's like there's visuals in the words. There's there and you read it a whole different way than we do. But it's so like uh, I, I can't even find the word for it. But it's just it's very mysterious for my mindset because our language is very kind of blunt and uh, we have. One word for a lot of different meanings of things. And they have so many different words off of the Hebrew. So it's easy to see how things can get lost in translation and how it's like kind of on us to rightly divide the truth. Um, that we actually have to guard our heart with all diligence, as the Bible says, and actually read these things and not just the way that it seems right to us, but the way that he's calling us to. If he's calling us to a whole different uh, walk and says that we have to be born again. Like, don't just think that we can carry our, our same motives and same same reason for beings with us. It's very hard to read the Bible if you're very uh, self-centered when you read it. Because you can easily find things. I remember, uh, I'll, I'll even go off on this tangent real quick. I remember reading about drinking. And I, I found enough scripture that allowed me to keep drinking. Because I, you, you read into Ecclesiastes and it says, have some wine. That's why you're sick all the time. And I was like, see, yeah, I can drink. And, I, and I'm not saying that it's wrong to drink. I'm not saying it's right to drink. In my heart, it is wrong. And he has told me to stop several times. So I know in my heart now, like the warnings have been, been sounded. Now it's on me to decide. So I have to do that stuff. I have to allow my conscience. It says, be honest in your evaluations of yourselves. I have to be honest in those moments. Am I seeking this in my own nature or the way that, that uh, the Holy Spirit can work through me and uh, shine light on darkness? The reason why it's hard to see uh, that light shine on, on you so, so harshly is because darkness has to flee. And a lot of times we cling to it. You know, we, we've been really uh, quoting a scripture. And, uh, and, I, and I went in and I read it. And there, there's more to it too, though. But we've, I've been hearing the scripture a lot and, uh, up here and stuff. But uh, definitely our testimony one is it says, uh, For they have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And it goes on. And it says, Because they did not love their own life unto death. That is a big ending because we can overcome in our own selfish ways sometimes. So if we don't understand the nature of God, why we're overcoming? We're not overcoming so that we, things go our way. We're overcoming so people can understand that there's, there's a God that loves them. There's a God that, that is bringing a kingdom that doesn't operate like this world does. And there's so many warnings to, to us all in that. But, um, but the other thing that, that uh, as, as they came through, or as he comes through in his triumphal entry, they're, they're throwing palm branches in front of him. And I, and I did a little research on that. And palm branches actually mean like definitely like in a dream um, interpretation sense, um, it means victory. So if you dream about like palm trees, that supposedly means a, a victory of some sort. So they're just laying these out for him to, to walk on. So, so they're saying, Hosanna, save us now. And they're seeing the victory that's coming towards them. And they're just laying down the victory, right, the victory path for him. 
And uh, the other thing I found that was really, really, uh, um, I don't know, it kind of jumped out at me after listening to a, a few other guys talk about it. But uh, he says, uh, you know, behold, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. So you can easily see, like, I could almost paraphrase that probably um, in the sense of he's coming and he's coming not like you expected. He's coming on a donkey. And if you understand the times back then, horses were the way to get around at the day. And here, and, it, and it's from what I've heard, um, I've heard that uh, like uh, commanders of armies, their horses, they, they measure horses with hands. Um, you know, like 17 hands is, I, th I think, a pretty big horse. 19 hands is even bigger. So like, say, um, a regular army's, uh, you know, horse would be like, say, 15 hands. The commander would have at least a 17-hand horse because they want to know that they're higher. And even the king would have an even taller horse because he's higher, and they wanted to really show that they're higher. Here's where it gets really, really, really awesome to see how our Savior came. He came not even on the same species. There's a word we use, a stubborn mule, you know. We use that because that's the nature of a donkey. They're stubborn. And he used that species, and then he didn't just use it. That species, he used it, used it, <laughs> wow, uh, used the donkey's folly, the colt, even lower yet. I mean, I, when, when, I, when I thought about it, I wondered if, like, the donkey was, like, bringing Jesus in, you know? Like, we're going to do this, I think. And it was probably so humbling to see, you know, if you, if you were really watching for it. That he's coming. And it, I think even in another version... It says, Behold your lowly king. To this world, like we, we think about it, and, and how do I go here? We think about the way people treat us at work, at home. And one thing I know is a scripture that says, If a brother slaps you, turn the other cheek. And one of the, the, Biggest things I've heard in church with my brethren <laughs> is I only got two cheeks. Which I, I hate to make light of that, but it's the wrong heart. That's not the heart he's, want, he's after. So Jesus didn't come as a king to change and flip over nations and, and, and take over nations. That's what they thought right here, I do believe. Is they thought he'd come to overthrow Caesar. He's come to bring his kingdom here. Hosanna, save us now. And the thing is, is Jesus doesn't come to take over nations. He's come to take over hearts and minds. He inhabits the praises of his people, not the land of his people. So, so going back to, to those mindsets of I only have one cheek, we have to understand that that our attitude towards our brethren actually matters. I mean, Jesus laid it all down as a lowly king, as it says. And uh, he turned his other cheek. He says, forgive. How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times 77, I think he says. Continually forgive each other. And our hearts and the way that seems right to us says that there's no way I'm going to bend over backwards like that for somebody. I'm not going to be a pushover. I'm not going to allow people to treat me that way. And here's Jesus ready to give his life to show us the right way, to lay down his own life. He said there's no greater love than this, than a brother that would lay down his own life for another brother. What did he say on the cross? He said, forgive them, they don't know. But maybe if I do this, they might, they just might understand. And a lot of them did. Right there that day, the veil was torn. A soldier pierced his side, got 
blood over them and go, surely this was the Son of God. It worked, and it's still working today. And Jesus is alive and active right on our own hearts. He said, I, I'm going to write my word on their hearts. And if they live by my word, if they hold on to my teachings, then they will be my disciples. Then they will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. That's all in our Bible, pointing us to the right way. But here, here's the contrast that I've that I seen as I studied out Palm Sunday and him coming and making a triumphal entry. And we're screaming, Hosanna. But he even goes on and he says, and he talks, hold on, let me get a drink. But he talks about how your ancestors uh, killed the prophets. He said, but yet you do the same thing. And this is the contrast that I've seen. So we can come into church. And this, as I'm saying this, remember, this is not condemnation. This is, this is bringing us into alignment to the word of God. I don't mean any condemnation. The only reason I can talk about it is because I've had, had to walk through it and I am walking through it. But we can come in the church with our hurts and our brokenness. And there'll be one moment that finally screams out to us in church. I've had several in church. And you get on your face up here and you let them make this triumphal entry into your heart. And we promise them, we make vows, I'm not going to go back to that Jesus. I know who you are now. And you're going to save me. Hosanna, save me now. And not a week later, we can put them on the cross again. And that's exactly what they did in the flesh. It wasn't a week and he was on the cross. He went from a glory crown to a, a, a palm path to the crown of thorns in a week. And what happened, in my opinion, is they didn't, he didn't line up with what they wanted to have done. So they said, oh, you don't want to overthrow Caesar? Well, Caesar, guess what? He's blaspheming on you. And Caesar will kill him then. And they changed their mindset because you're not working how I want you to, Jesus. You're not doing what I think you need to do. And then to hell with you then. And even on the cross, not to get too much into the next message. Spoiler alert. <laughs> But on the cross, they're, they're yelling at him. He saved others. Save yourself. And that's the thing that I've learned is he wasn't here to save himself. He was here to save us. He was here to save them. And they missed it. And he knew they missed it. And he still went for, forth with it. And, uh, and going back to the, to the process... In, in my short Christian life, I understand that um, growing weary is at an all-time high probably in this season of where I'm at anyway. I see people give up. I see people run astray. I see people get distressed. I see my own heart um, lose hope at times and hope deferred. And, and the Bible talks about all that in uh And, it, and then you get stuck into this, uh, because I, I think this is where I'm wanting to go. <laughs> so we see testimonies of, let's say, light switch uh, people, right? That Jesus comes in like a light switch, heals their addictions, their afflictions, their hangups, their, their medical issues, and just heals them. Boom. And then there's sometimes where you get this, this not so easy so to speak because we think the light switch is the easy way instead of this walking your faith out or your salvation and uh, I know there's more scripture to that it's not coming but <laughs> but there's so much scripture to show that that he is making us to perfection but he also sets a standard he says be holy as he is holy Matthew 5, 48, so in red letters, Jesus saying, be, You are to be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. 
So the bar gets set. Boom. Sometimes we see ourselves living here. And we're so far away from here that we just give up hope. I, I've even been to a point where it's like, man, I'm finally, he's finally doing something in me. And then you go and you, you start almost boasting about it. Like, man, the Lord is doing something in me. And they're like, yeah, but you really irritated me when you did this. And you walk away from that conversation like, another thing? Another thing I got to work on. Like, why would you choose me? Like, I've been working on things for seven years with you. I'm not perfect. Like, what is the point? And the point is, to me, is he is greater than any feeling. He is greater than, than any ideology that I can muster up in my own heart. The point is that every morning, like the manna, it's made new. And we have to hunger for him every day. If we made it to perfection, there's a, there's a good chance. If we made it tomorrow, that we would forget about him. And I don't know if that's exactly right or not. I don't have a scripture on my heart that says that. But sometimes I think it's there for our own good. So we don't run off in, in uh, arrogance and exalt our own selves. Because the kingdom of heaven is upside down, inside out, backwards place. If you want to live, you got to die. If you want to be first, you got to be last. He humbles the proud and he exalts the humble. Everything is backwards. And that's why there's a scripture that I constantly use on my heart. And it says there's a way that seemeth right to a man, but it leads to destruction. We've been taught God did not teach us this stuff. It came from the fall of Adam and the own and the, the desires that came with that of the flesh. A lot of times we'll even blame Satan. And the whole thing is that I found out, I've studied this stuff, and, and you could probably argue with me and I'd probably let you win, because I'm I'm becoming even more humble than I've ever been, because it's I've I've changed my way of thinking so many times. How do I know that I'm exactly right on this exact issue? But I will say this. That we blame the devil for a lot of things. And we give him a lot of power. The thing that I've heard Jesus say is that it's finished. And he is now a footstool. Jesus won. And we run around cursing the devil, binding and rebuking. And we have our eyes more on him than, than God. And this morning we sang about, look at him. Not him. It says one day that we're going to see who, uh, who Satan is and we're going to look at, it, at him and go, this is the one that deceived nations? But the one thing I do understand is he actually was the prince of this world at one point and he's been defeated. He's been judged and defeated. There is no hope for him. I used to pray for him actually. Maybe there's a chance and then I come across scripture that says he's already been judged. So why would he not want you to feel exactly like him, hopeless, afraid? He has no idea when the time will come. He wants you to feel the same way. Suicidal. Suicidal is probably one of the biggest lies on this earth. Because you're taking away something you were never even in, able or in control of taking away. It's not your image to take. Genesis says he made man. He said, let us make man in our image. Both female and male, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It says it like three times, just in case you have any questions. It says he created them in the image of God. And getting to, I guess, a, a mindset oh, where I was going is, um, so to my understanding with the devil is the devil only has what we allow him to have. He created us and he said, let man have dominion over the birds, the fish, and everything on it. So we have dominion over this place. Jesus restored it. We'll learn about it next week. 
He restored it, redeemed it, the whole package, as if we've never been with the world, as if we've never fallen out of grace, as if we've always been in them. He says, I, I will forgive their sins and I will remember them no more. We're the ones that remember it. We're the ones that bring it up. We're the ones that let the devil have a say in our life instead of knowing what the Word of God says. There's one thing that I've learned with Jesus in, in uh, the wilderness is his weaponry was scripture. He didn't cuss, fuss. He was starving. I've never even tried a 40-day fast with just water. Never. I couldn't imagine how skinny he was at that point. He probably looked like my son Garrett, malnourished. and <laughs> I promise we feed him. But uh, and at, at Jesus' weakest fleshly moment, he's, he says, hey, if you really are the son of God, the devil, and this is before the devil was defeated, by the way. He said, hey, if you really are the son of God, why don't you turn that stone in some bread? Jesus fires back with scripture. For man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. I'm feeding. He said it at the well too. I, I'm, I'm eating on something you, you have no idea that fills me. But I'm going to show you. And then it goes on in a, I can't remember if I'm going to mix these up. Um, but I think he takes Jesus to a high place, Satan, and says, jump off. For the scriptures say, that's what's scary, right? The devil knows scripture. He says, the scriptures say for he'll catch you and you won't, your angels will catch you and you won't even hurt your heel on a stone. Jesus fires back with scripture. Thou shalt not test the Lord your God. And there's a third one. Let me think of it. Oh, he takes them and shows them all the kingdoms. For you can rule over all. I'll give them all to you if you just bow down to me. And then what does he say? I'm losing it. It's scripture. Worship your God and your God only. So he fires back with scripture. So we, in my heart, we have to know it. The thing is, is he said he wrote it on our hearts. So there's hope there that even if you're not diligently reading it every day, that there, there's still a piece of him that he's written on your heart. And Isaiah says, I think it's Isaiah says, I'm going to remove your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And if we understand what he's doing in our hearts and he, he's changing us and, uh, and we don't get caught up in, in roadblocks of, of the wrong side of process and in roadblocks of the, the things that seem right in the sense of uh, our ways are not his ways, our thoughts are not our thoughts. Because if you continue reading, Philippians says, have the mind of Christ. If you're going to always be bullied out of this thing, it's going to be very hard for you to live the blessed life. And that brings me to the blessed life, which is Matthew 5. It is so funny. I remember serving in a youth group with my dear friends, our pastors, in a I remember Wade had us turn to Matthew 5 in, uh, in the NLT. Let me switch over to that. 5, come on. I remember sitting there with a group of youth, and it was just me, and Wade was over there, and I think we all had our own little groups. And I read it, and I go, the beatitudes. What is the beatitudes? And I'm sitting there telling these kids about the beatitudes. And I'm like, man, that just does not seem right. And then all of a sudden Wade gets up there and he goes, the beatitudes. And I'm like, yeah, what he said. <laughs> so trust me, there, there's, a, there's a thing I think he's built into us for humility to take place. And I think there's also um, a, uh, a knowing that that we can still hunger for the word of God and still learn who he is and not, and, and we're going to come to it and not think that we know it all. And that's part of being blessed in here.
Um, the first one, it says, Matthew 5, 3. It said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Just like what I was saying, you're not spiritually arrogant. You don't think you just know it all. You don't come in here and just go, I've read the book and I know what I'm saying and I'm ready to kill you to prove my point. Because that's what we'll do. We'll argue our point and leave a conversation um, of division and uh, we're destroying the image of God on each other. It says, Paul writes, I can't remember exactly where, but he says, don't argue about all these little things. Just get to the unity of faith. So, what's that? Oh, sorry. I thought you were adding. No, I thought you were adding. Um, so, so we, we have to remain poor in spirit and know our need for him. Know that we still need him even though he saved us. Um, trying to think of where that's at in the Bible, but it talks about that in another book uh, where he, he's talking about if you say that you have no sin, you're calling God a liar and the truth is not in you. But if you go up and read the whole context of that, we will use that and say, brother, we'll, we'll almost defend like the process can sometimes defend. We'll almost defend our ability to sin. When the New Testament is full of, I write this to you, dear brother, so you do not continue to sin. Reckon, how can you say that you've reckoned yourself dead to sin with a mindset that you're always going to be a sinner? We have got to get this so embedded into us that he is the potter, the creator, the author of life, and he says that we're spotless, blameless, and above reproach. That he'll remember our sins no more. It doesn't mean that what, what that's saying is, is, what it's saying is it's saying if you've made it to salvation without any need for the blood, you're calling God a liar. We have all fallen short. That's what it's saying. But it doesn't say continue to believe that way after he saves you. We sang about it. Who the sun sets free is what? Free indeed. And yet we're bound and manipulated by the enemy almost every day. And what that shows me, what Jesus said on the cross, they don't know. The scriptures say that my people perish due to lack of understanding. And it goes on and it says, and all you get, get understanding. Wisdom is better than any, wisdom and knowledge is better than any silver or gold. That's the one thing that I've set out. And he says, if there's anything you don't understand, you don't know, ask him. That is one thing that I set on my heart. If you go back to my teachers in school and stuff, and they sat in, in a room like this and listened to me talk, they would, I guarantee they'd be amazed. They would go, isn't that the kid that goofed off all class, couldn't learn a dang thing? Now he's opening this Bible and learning about Hebrew and stuff, and he's enjoying it? Oh, I'd make them so mad, I'm sure. There's a reason because that in my heart, when I come across that scripture, I said, man, I'm, when I finally realized I don't know any of this. And at, at times I've seeked it in the wrong heart. And that's what's so awesome about having the Holy Spirit with you. It says it'll hold, he'll hold every thought captive. So when you seek it for the wrong reasons, he goes, hey, Let's take care of this. I don't want that to go. I think that'll be really nasty if we leave that alone. And he does that to me. He's done it with people, and he's done it just in my own thought process. And that's the part of being humble and uh, being formable and shapeable and moldable and teachable. Trust me, I understand. It's very hard to be all that and zealous at the same time. And passionate. Passion like overruns my heart all the time. I can be in, in a house um, that you can tell has no godly part in them. And I can watch them just do everyday things and my heart will cry. And next thing you know, tears will fall out of my eyes. 
And I'm like, man, I am here to work, not cry. What am I doing? Lord, they ain't going to understand this. And I can sit there and I can get made fun of by my old friends. Man, you're so sensitive. But we go on to the Beatitudes. And I'll read a couple of them. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Sorry, for, for the poor in spirit, for the, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So you see, uh, see uh, I, I understand like, there's a reason we're comforted. So then we know and we are fully capable to comfort those in need. We don't just obtain comfort to have comfort and to boast about comfort. We don't um, we don't hunger for justice just to be satisfied. We hunger because it's part of him. And we're not we don't obtain mercy just to obtain mercy. We show mercy to others. But it says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure. This is my favorite one. For they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. You're a peacemaker. If you're part of the body of Christ, you are a peacemaker. And he has made you fully capable to be a peacemaker, not a gossiper, not a, not a, a division person. And it says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The problem with those blessings is that is not the visual picture that I think majority of our hearts come to Christ with. We give our hearts to God so that you take my persecution away. And he promises you persecution. We go to God so that he can take care of our finances. We go to God to take our problems away when he says, I have fulfilled you to take me to that situation, not for me to take it out of you. You are going to speak into all this stuff because I've made you a disciple. I've made you a peacemaker. And, you sit, and we can sit at our work. This was me, and I wish... I wish he would have shown me why I was there. I really do. I wish my heart breaks for, for my uh, old or, uh, co-workers because I didn't understand it. I was so mad at them 90% of the time. We can sit there and go, God, save me from this lost and corrupt generation. Save me when he equipped me to save them. Not, not me personally. It says, Christ in me is the hope of glory. Not Daryl in me is the hope of glory. Christ in me. And if I, if I have an understanding that wherever I go, he's there within me. I don't need two or three necessarily gathered. It's a good thing to have this. But I have the Holy Spirit. I have the Word of God. And I have God himself. And I have my consciousness and my heart going, this is enough for God to move. There are, there are stories about people that, uh, we talked about it on a Tuesday night, a, a guy that has been walking around for like 20, 30 years praying for Benton Harbor. And nothing's happened and in the sense of our eyes, right? But I know what the Word says. It says the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. So what are we going to decide that we, we, we put our hope in? What we see? Because it says we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. So do we have faith to believe that God's word doesn't return void? And that's what he's pushing into us. So when he makes his triumphal entry into our hearts, are we going to let him stay there and be established? Let him go into the temple of our hearts. We've learned about that, that we are a temple of God. Let him go in there and flip over and drive out the nastiness in us. Are we going to do that or the minute that he starts taking whips to the things that we want to hold on to, we kick Jesus out instead?
We have to be careful how, how, how we respond to this stuff. Because Jesus is not, he's not this God that just pushes his way through things. Because he wants your heart, not just your obedience. He wants your sound mind. So I want to turn to Colossians 3 and really sum this thing up where I think he's going. And uh, like he, he didn't just make a triumphal entry for us just to be saved and feel good about ourselves. He died so that we could go back to the original intent. What was the original intent? He said, let us make man in our image. Then he created him. He didn't think long about it. He just did it. He didn't just sit there with a block of clay and then accidentally breathed into it, sneezed into it, and it formed life. He had an intention when he made us. And I remember talking to Nathaniel one day, and, and, he, and he said this to me. He said, God spoke everything to existence but us. He shaped us, he formed us, and he breathed his life into us, his breath, Ruach. And then he left us here. And I, I read something, I don't even, I, I didn't go real in depth into it, but there, there, it says when Peter and the disciple that Jesus loved gets to the tomb, which is John, Peter goes in and they see the, the burial garments on the ground, but there's this folded napkin that was over his body. Jesus folded it, and, and, I, and I was reading this, and I don't know how true this is, but I thought it was really good. And uh, it says back in kingdom days and stuff like that, uh, a servant would deliver the meal and then kind of hidden at a distance where the king couldn't see him, but he could see him, the king, he would wait to watch for basically a gesture. And if the king wadded up the napkin and threw it down, it meant he was done. But if he folded it and put it on his plate, it meant that he's coming back. And this sheet is folded in that death tomb. So it means he's coming back. And he's not coming back to save us. He's already done that. Hosanna, save us now. Not then, when you come back, save us now. And he goes, it's far better that I leave so that the helper can come. And even greater works will you do. All the, all the books in the world couldn't contain the things that Jesus did while he was here, it says. And even greater works will you do. But what do we say? That's heresy, brother. You think you can do something Jesus couldn't do? Yeah, because he lives inside me. It's not me doing I didn't love my own life unto death. I'm not, I'm, my life is not my own. I sing about it. Do I know about it? I have crucified my flesh, flesh just like Jesus, and then I get to reign with him, it says. And Colossians 3 says, living the new life. And I just want to end on this. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Think about things above and not beneath. We, where Christ sits in, in the place of honor at God's right hand, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you have died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ who is your, your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking in you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Do not be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, 
malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and, and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. It's the be attitudes, it's not the do attitudes. That's what He was so mad at the religious people for. You can think that you know what to do when the time comes, but you don't do it. And I don't even want you to do it, I want you to become it. I have died to live and reign in your life and, and function, fully functional there. And in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or un uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters. <laughs> And he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, above all, Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all in perfect harmony. And let peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to, th to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks through him to God the Father. And he goes on, I, I, I challenge you to keep reading, it's so good. Colossians is awesome. Every book I, I'm reading at the time is my favorite book. Um, he just shows me so much. Um, but again, it's not, it's not just to, to be able to, to talk to you guys about it. It says, think of ways to stir each other to love and good works. And love binds us all together. And the instructions of our, or the goal of our instruction is to love. That's what it's for. It's to go, hey, when nobody's looking, think about these things. When nobody's looking, this is one thing he showed me, and I've shared it several times, but I'm going to keep sharing it because it, it was just so, so impactful to my heart. When I realized that when I went into my secret room with him, he was already there waiting, it changed my life. He's transformed my actions, my ways of thinking, so much so that I can have friends tell me, man, you're no fun anymore. And I'm like, oh man, if you only knew. I have more fun without anybody here, without anybody paying attention. I used to have to be able to be up in front of people. I used to be a really good dancer. I probably still am. But, no, I'm just, I'm just joking about the humility part. Um, but uh, seriously, I was. But, <laughs> um, but I would do that for gratification from others. And I've learned I don't need that anymore. It does not matter if you see me pure and holy and awesome. I've already read about the Creator that tell, tells me that personally in that room alone when nobody's looking. You can't take it from me. And I want everybody else to be able to be there too. I don't want to be up here and proud in telling you guys these things because I got it together. The only reason I got it together is because I got to pray in mother and pray in family. And, and, and people that cry out for me, this is the only reason I'm here. And for me to consider that as something I've done is ridiculous. So I'll leave you with this. Keep your hearts, it says guard your hearts with all diligence. Not a little. I will pray for you here in a second and I'm going to pray that God touch your hearts in a way that when you go back to the old things that, that you found comfort in, 
that he start revealing to you that that's something he doesn't want in you. Because God is not only just helping us through, he is purifying us to a holy, holy, beautiful, uh, sovereign bride, pure in all its ways. We sing a song that I think one time you jumped up and said something about it. Because you will have your bride rid of all her shame. I mean, that's what he's making us into. And it's going to be very hard if we sit back in our critical thinking and go, if they would only do this at church, if they would do this, they're not doing this. I was one of those people. And I had to repent. And I had, I had to understand that God is not just working through Daryl. He's working through a body. And I may just be attendant. And, and Lucas here has been helping me with the bathroom. And he does, he's doing the tile work. And, uh, and I, I couldn't help but watch how he was doing the tile work because I want to learn. And he gets up, he puts the bigger tiles up and they just fit and he puts them right in. The spacers fit just fine. And then he gets to this border of mosaic tile that has smaller tiles, but man, it just gives it an awesome look. And then as he started putting tile above that, it started sagging and he had to put spacers everywhere. These little tiny spacers that normally you just throw away. He kept there and he had a specific place for it. And there's, in the Bible, he talks about that he is making us living stones and he's building God's holy temple. And sometimes we can look at little things in our life and find it to be throwaway things that, why would you ever use this God? And there's a specific place that he's going to put you and you can't get your eye off that little picture onto such a big picture that you forget about the little joints and mortar and stuff and the, and the little spots that, that you're sent to help. And if you're always criticizing that they're only on this side of the wall and they haven't made it to your wall yet, by the time that we get to your wall as a, as a whole, we're going to be so bitter and no good to the kingdom of God. So that's why in Colossians it says, set your mind on heavenly things. That's where he's put my heart. Even though we may not be doing exactly what I think the Lord is ready for me to do and unleash my heart on, we might not be quite there yet. But I'm so encouraged that he is, he's making his way and he's coming back. And he's coming through us. We are the hands and feet, we've heard it. But if all we are are critical, mad, picked off at the world because of how ungodly it is, of course it's ungodly. It's all over the Bible. Read it. <laughs> it tells us all the time. Go out to the ends of the world and save it. Tell them about me. So I just encourage you to take your hearts set your mind on things that are so heavenly like I, I, I used to get told this and I don't understand it I still don't understand it but like Daryl you can't be so heavenly that you're no earthly good I've been told that so many times and I go away and I think about it and I get the heart behind what they're telling me but like if I'm so heavenly that I'm no earthly good that means I've changed my heart from being a a thermometer in the room to a thermostat. I get to change the atmosphere if I'm so heavenly because it says in a heavenly realm that it's supposed to obey. If I say something in his name, it will be done. Why would we not want to be so heavenly? Set your eyes on that. So let us end in prayer. So Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your encouragement. And Lord, anything that, that may have come out of my mouth that isn't of you, Lord, I ask you to correct it. Um, but Lord, anything that has come out that, that was your spirit, your drive, your will, Lord, I just ask you to edify it in each one of our hearts today. Be the shepherd over our hearts, Lord, the potting soil of who we are, of our being, Lord. Let whatever comes into our, our eye gates, our ear gates, be, be not just all holy, but Lord, let us only let holy things down to our heart. 
because for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And let us speak good things, not evil things. And out of the heart flows the issues of life, Lord. Let us go ahead and cancel our lifetime subscription to issues. And let us be established in, in your roots. There was, when I was talking right before I came in, Becky said something about a palm tree that just, it just hit me again. In Colossians, I think if you go on, it talks about being rooted and established in him and his love so that we flourish and we're not tossed away. It seems how it's Palm Sunday. It said, Becky told me that palm trees' roots go down as deep as they are tall. So Lord, we ask you to grow our roots deep, deep, deep down in you so that we don't have questions and concerns, but that we're full of zeal and passion and conviction to walk with you every day of our lives. We want to thank you for listening in today. At The Well, we believe in cultivating a culture for more of God. Wherever you are in your relationship and walk with God, we believe that there is always more for those who diligently seek after Him. If you would like to find out more, please check out our website at thewellmichigan.com and connect with us on social media.